0: Let's read together from 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 3 to verse 12. May the Lord give us grace to hear these words well. Give us ears to hear, Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Great summary of what he has done and what he will do now. What is he doing now? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Father, may what we declare has been announced and done be in line with What Peter is talking about here, may it be revealed to us, um, be revealed to us so that our lives, though they be but a vapor, though our trials, though they be but for a little while, can just don't waste our lives and live this brief life in vain, but rather for your glory and really do live in the world as salt and light. We are almost home until we get there, may it be evident that our hope is in the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. I read an article this week that immediately grabbed my attention because, uh, well, for reasons I'll, I'll, I'll share about. Uh, four defendants were arrested not long ago uh, in a multi-million dollar counterfeit goods scheme more than $130 million of fake Ugg boots, Air Jordans, Timberland boots, iPods, and beat headphones were sold. So the indictment in federal court charges seven defendants with participating in a counterfeit scheme where they imported generic goods to the United States from China, applied brand labels, like Uggs and AirPods and Beats, to those goods and sold them to retail and wholesale purchasers. So the charges are conspiracy to traffic in counterfeit goods and money laundering. A hundred and thirty million dollars worth of Air Jordans that aren't Air Jordans, Beats headphones that aren't Beats headphones, and other products were sold and have been used by people thinking they're the one thing when really they're not. And I caught my attention because I think I got, if not this one, in some scheme, because I found some AirPods online, and it was such a deal. And I ordered them, and they came in and worked great for about four days. <laughs> and then the one doesn't work. Is there anything more frustrating? There, there are more frustrating. But isn't it frustrating when you've got one headphone in and it'll work and the other one doesn't? And then you spend, this is just me, a lot of time trying to figure out, well, here's the most likely explanation. They're not real. And he got ripped off. And you thought they were real, but they're counterfeit. Now, what we can take from that story is that people counterfeit things that are valuable. Nobody's devising a scheme to counterfeit pennies, okay? Nobody's doing that. They're counterfeiting things that are precious and things that are valuable, and somebody's working behind the scenes to figure out how can I make and pass off something that, if it were authentic, would be of extreme value, but I'll pass it off so that I can make 120 million or so dollars, right? And here's what peter is teaching us there is nothing more valuable in the world right now than genuine authentic saving faith so therefore one of the most commonly counterfeited things is genuine faith so how do you know if you've got the real thing because a label that says uggs doesn't necessarily mean uggs a label that says air jordans doesn't necessarily mean air jordans and a label that says AirPods doesn't necessarily mean or iPods or AirPods or no no it was I had it right the first time I'm getting older I can't keep up with the terminology. But what I really want you to think about with me this morning is who is it that labels faith genuine saving faith? And I simply want you to have the humility to hear the scripture. God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. To an inheritance It's the real thing. It's imperishable, undefiled. You don't get a couple of years into the faith and all of a sudden the headphone goes out or your hope goes out or it diminishes or fades or defiles. Now, counterfeit faith will do that every single time. So, let's go on and answer the big question on the front end. What is God doing from the in between what he has accomplished and what he will accomplish what is he doing right now he is right now testing whether or not you've got the real thing and that's important as a matter of fact that's a loving thing for him to do because every trial you face in this life is a hope test what are you really hoping in what are you really looking to to provide your life with life what is of supreme value to you so the question that that i believe peter under inspiration of the holy spirit is talking to us about is how do you know genuine faith is genuine so i just want to use what he writes there and give you some marks of uh, of genuine faith let's start with this one genuine faith is tested the genuine faith is tested. So if you thought you signed up for, uh, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, that just means life's not going to be difficult. That's, that's, that's not the genuine faith. Those aren't the instructions you're going to get from God's word for, for sure. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. In what? In salvation. In being born again. In having an inheritance. In, in Christ. In having a living hope. That's what you rejoice in. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've noticed with my children, they don't like to be asked questions. They just want me to take their word for it. Now, friends, genuine faith is tested. Whose word do you take that it's genuine? We can't just say to the Lord, I've got the real thing. No, it's revealed what you really hope in when you're tested. That's simply what he's saying. So, so when various trials come, Peter uses two words here that on first reading we might think, well, how does that, how can you be both? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. How do you rejoice and grieve at the same time? Well, friends, welcome to the Christian life. Amen. I mean, that is the Christian life. That's the breathing in, breathing out. That's to take a step forward and take another step. Our life right now until we get there is going to be full of rejoicing and grieving. Think of the Various trials that the original audience that first or that Peter is writing this epistle to. What are the various trials? Being persecuted. Complete lack of respect of the world. Nobody thinks that they amount to much of anything. They're not esteemed very highly. The loss of loved ones. Suffering of their children. So when, when we're told the tested genuineness of your faith... So the faith is what's being tested, and then notice how Peter compares their, the value of their faith to the value of a, a commodity that we're all uh, fairly familiar with, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So so gold in the world is sort of a commodity that's valuable, and, uh, and if you test a commodity for value in the world that's eventually going to not be worth anything— then you can see why your faith would be tested. I hope that makes sense. You, you test things to see if they're authentic. How do, you, um, how do you refine gold? I'll tell you this. You don't get, put a pillow out and put ore on top of it and then it turns into gold. No, no. What do you, how do you refine gold? It's by fire, by heat. And, and what does that fire and heat do? It burns away the impurities. It, it burns away everything that's not... Gold, right? So that it is therefore refined. This is what made people like Peter and Paul and the early Christians so peculiar in the Roman world. If you don't stop preaching, that message will kill you. Okay. You know, when I um got my little... Headphones here. You know what drew my attention to it? It seemed like such a deal. I and mean, what they were asking me to pay, I know how much they are usually paid, I fell for this silly scheme. I'm so angry about it. How could I be so foolish? But I glanced at it and said, Oh, I mean, and I began to make all the plans. I take them to the gym and I can run. And, uh, and then uh, what drew my attention is the price tag was advertised as less, and I thought I was going to get a deal. Now, I want to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, I think far too often the price of actually following him is advertised deficiently. What is the price tag? If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. You know what the price tag is? It's everything. It's everything. I think sometimes we want the benefit without the cost. Do you know what I mean? And the only reason, the only reason you'll ever actually pay that cost is if you view following him of greater value than not. That's what Peter is saying. See, the, the test comes along, and what's being tested? Your hope is being tested. You know the difference between genuine gold and fool's gold, don't you? How many of you have ever seen the movie Wizard of Oz? An old movie, you know, uh, when I was a child it seemed to be more uh, prominent maybe than it is now. But the, well, the whole movie was a, um, was a metaphor. Wizard of Oz, They used to uh, uh, kind of value gold on the basis of ounces. Does anybody know what the abbreviation for ounces is, you know? O.Z., Oz, that's right. And it is, the whole book that the movie is based on was written when they were having a controversy of whether or not the gold standard would still be used. And, and it won't break down the movie for you. I'm sure you can go on YouTube or Google it and you f- find out that the, that the farmer was being fooled, so the scarecrow, he really needed this, and the uh, industrial workers re- uh, related to the tin man, and they needed so on and so But But you know what happens when they get to Oz, who is the wizard? He's just behind a curtain, and he's lying to you. But I do think the spiritual point is well made. What you're told to value again and again. In fact, the thing that we're in America in 2021... Most constantly and regularly told to value is our own comfort and our own security, which leads you to think that I don't want any tests, but Peter is saying that the test is what is required to see whether you have genuine faith or not. Because when the curtain is pulled back, and we'll study through 1 Peter, and you'll see the number of times he's referring to the return of Christ and standing before Christ, when that moment happens, it will be evident what you really hope in, so you want to know ahead of time, amen, that's what he's saying. God values your faith more than he values your gold or more than he values your comfort. And what we're learning in this passage is that heaven really values faith. Paul Tripp put it this way, God will take you where you never intended to go to produce in you what you could never have produced on your own. And that's true. Faith, Adrian Rogers said, that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So again, every trial is a hope test. So first marker of genuine faith is that genuine faith can be tested. You can't think about it. And in fact, the Bible tells you to do this. Work out, not work for, get the words right, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you want to have certainty about anything, you want to have certainty of what your faith is in and is it genuine because the counterfeits are all over the place. Second mark of genuine faith is that genuine faith results in praising, honoring, and glorifying Jesus Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found. Here's what genuine faith does. In the midst of the trial, now it's found to result in grumbling and complaining and throwing in the towel. No, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We usually start our Sunday morning services with our weekly fighter verse. We didn't do that this time because I want to look at it now. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, which I believe is the testimony of one who is being tested of the genuineness of their faith that then results in praise and glory and honor unto the Lord. Was your week in the last seven days full of praising and honoring Jesus? Genuine faith results in praising and honoring and glorifying Jesus. Not when there are no trials, but when there are trials. Look at Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Now, I think when it comes to the Bible, we just kind of read it and we don't really think about what it's saying. Because many of us have a hope That we got more to hope in than God. But you don't. Whom have I in heaven but you? What's the answer to that question? Nobody. And and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Would that be true of your life? My heart or my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my heart. Portion forever. Now, again, I believe that's the testimony of somebody whose faith has been tested and shown. But but um, here's what trials have done in my life, hardships have done in my life. Is they revealed to me that I still am hoping in my heart and in my flesh. There's still something in me that desires something in the earth, in the world, isn't that what? The, uh, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. But then, when my faith is tested, it's revealed that there's still impurities in me that need to be refined. You remember the rich young ruler? He thought his hope was in the Lord, until the Lord said. Here's a test, right? I want you to sell everything that you got. Give to the poor, and then you come and follow me. What Jesus is saying is you can't live for the riches of the world and follow me at the same time. Jesus never puts a fake price tag on salvation. Now, salvation is given to you. You don't earn it. It's by grace we are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. But in order to receive it, you take up your cross to follow him. And, And Peter says... Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, on that day, on that day, it'll be revealed what you've hoped in all along. And another marker of genuine faith, the third one, is that genuine faith loves Jesus joyfully. There's no way to love anything except to do so joyfully. But, but, but as Peter says here in verses 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, some really important words in those verses. And and could you just think about them with me for for a moment? Here here are the important words. We just read them. Belief. Joy. Joy. Glory, salvation, and soul. Those are five really important words. Now, biblically, how do they relate to one another? Well, let's start with the last one soul. Hey, friend, you're a soul. Did you know that? You're not a machine, you're not a thing. You're not a machine that just needs to be recharged. You're a soul that needs to be refreshed. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. And in the same way that your physical body has needs, food, water, sunlight, your soul has needs. And as we're studying through 1 Peter, you might simply understand it this way. Your ultimate hope is wherever you're seeking your soul's needs to be met. Of all people, followers of Jesus should see the value in other human souls. Far too harsh with each other. Far too dismissive of one another. As you live as salt and light in the world, one of the things you do is you value other souls for who they are. Made in the image of God. So soul, we're kind of going to work our way backwards, verses 8 and 9. Your soul is looking for salvation in something. You look to something to give your life meaning and purpose and value. Can I just tell you, before I was a follower of Jesus, where I looked for meaning and value is just being a good person. It's being a nice man. Be a good student. Man, when we got this class for the first day and the teacher started going over the rules, I took notes on the rules. But you know Big picture, because some of you are wired like this. Big picture, do you know what my God was? It's me. Because I believed as long as I did the right thing, life would go a certain way, and you keep drilling down deeper, do you know what that is? It's my desire for control. That's why there's so many angry people, because they think they're in control. And when life doesn't turn out to go, what happens? A test comes along, the tested genuineness of your faith, your hope. And what my hope was in is as long as I'm a nice person and i will my homework in time, that there will be no suffering in my life. That's sort of the deal that I thought I would make with God. But man, that's not the world. And what I wanted to do when I looked for control is guess who I was ultimately trying to control? I was trying to control God. He should do what I think he should do. So I look for salvation in those things And day after day, whatever that something is that you look for salvation in is what your soul gives glory to. We're just working our way backward. So your soul is looking for salvation and whatever it is, success, appearance, money, another person, getting married, retirement. Whatever it is that you're looking to give you satisfaction is what you are giving glory to. Hey, functionally speaking, human beings are full-on-glory hunters all the time. I give you a silly illustration from my life when I was much less mature, at least I like to think that I was much less mature. When I was 11year- old, 11-year-old 11, uh, 11 years old. I was all about the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, seriously. Every T-shirt I had had Joe Montana or Jerry Rice or Super Bowl champions on it. I mean, we roll up to sixth grade at Benvenue Middle. The boys would get around the lunch table, and that's all we talked about. I can see their faces right now. Here's a Washington fan. Here's a Dallas fan. I really didn't like him. Here's a a fellow San Francisco fan. And then here's a New York Giants fan. Man, all my attention. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched a VHS highlight tape of the 49ers. In the great fall of 1990, they started out 10-0. They were going to be the first team ever to win three Super Bowls in a row. Joe Montana's won the MVP. They were firing on all cylinders, got to the NFC Championship game. At the last second, field goal from the Giants, Joe Montana got obliterated on a sack and out of the game. San Francisco lost. Now, everybody knew that I was a fan. Why? Because I glorified them. How? How I talked. You couldn't be around me 10 minutes without learning that I was a Carolina fan. How long can somebody be around you before they realize your hope is in Christ and not in this world? How do I glorify? You're always glorifying something. Because that's how your soul is made. That's who you are as a human being. You know what you glorify by what you're trying to get everybody's attention on. When you say, hey, look at this. What do you post about? What are you doing? You're, you're giving glory to something. You know what you glorify when you say, I can't wait to, and then you fill in the blank. All human beings are glory hunters. And when I said earlier that the, the course of this world is always saying, go here, or, or here's where you need to run, and so on. That's what. They're t- here's where you look for hope and salvation, Can we keep working backwards? The Bible's helpful, isn't it? It explains us to us. So, so what's our next? So, so that you rejoice with joy. See, they're connected. When, when you glorify something, what you're asking from that something in return is to fill your life up with joy. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you my glory, and in exchange for me giving you my glory, I want you to give me back joy. That's why on Monday after the 49ers lost, I could barely make myself go to school. Why? Because I knew what everybody was going to say. Now, that's just an illustration, but, but when you look for, uh, when you glorify comfort, or you glorify achievement, or you glorify tradition, or you glorify pleasure, or you glorify success, what you're asking of those things is to, is to bring you back joy. Or you glorify your children, and all of your hope is built up in them, and if they I'll tell you this: the only thing that you can glorify that doesn't, that isn't crushed beneath the weight of you seeking your joy in it is God. You try to do that with your children, you'll crush them. And the most consistent glory. Substitute for God is self. And you'll crush yourself that way. It's just a matter of time. God's the only object of your hope that you can glorify with all of your soul and not have your joy wrecked in the end. So do you want some good news? I kind of stated in the negative. Can I give you the good news? God being glorified and your life being full of joy are not at odds. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, we talk a lot about freedom. You know what freedom is? Here's a good definition of freedom. Freedom is doing what you want to do and thriving as you do it. That's what it means to really be free. And the only way, that's what salvation is, by the way, is God transforming you so what you should have always hoped in is restored to what you are hoping in. And not only do they go together in this life, fact that's what most tests are most tests in your life are refining your joy you're looking for too much joy here and we need to refine that and when you go through a test you lose a loved one the health report isn't what you had hoped the money isn't as secure as you thought the relationship that you thought was healthy isn't as much when that refining fire comes on you are fine to put more of your joy in In the Lord. So are we we trailing it back? Your soul is looking for salvation in something. Whatever you're looking for salvation in. Is what you glorify. As you glorify something. You're hoping to get back from that something. Joy. And we keep rewinding the tape. You believe in him. Do you really believe in him? That's. Your faith. Next point of uh, marks of genuine faith is that genuine faith is really valued by those who are holy. That's the next paragraph. We'll do it briefly. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, rescued from a false hope, restored to a living hope, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Hey, that was a, that was a a helpful change in Peter's life. Remember he had told Jesus, you're not going to suffer. Now God has brought Peter to the point where he looks back and said, that Old Testament that I thought I knew so well was always predicting the sufferings of Christ. So when I was over there at Caesarea Philippi and said, may it never be, I was, I was arguing against the prophets. No, it will be that he will suffer. So I take that to mean that God can bring some healthy change in your life. Amen. Where you happen to be and what you understand right now, God can mature. How did he do it in Peter's life? Through some sufferings, by the way. But I digress. Verse 12, it was revealed to them... The prophets began to understand that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Sin from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It's a wonderful passage and so much there, but I just want you to see. Concerning this salvation comma and then all this talk about the prophets the holy spirit the work of god and the angels uh, anyone who's holy highly values the salvation that you believe in by faith i think what i'd like to do is just take an example of where that happens one prophet who predicts the sufferings of christ and then how it now has been accomplished and i'm going to use isaiah to do that so, if you've got a Bible, I want you to join me in Isaiah and just give you an example. There are literally hundreds, but an example that prior to the coming of Christ, it, his sufferings were predicted in the subsequent glories. So, in other words, I think it might be helpful for you to understand that the pattern, what God is doing in your life in the present, follows the pattern of what has happened in Christ. In other words, Christ suffered and then was glorified. So can that free us up from anticipating future glory without present sufferings? God always works it that way. So Isaiah 51 in in verse 1, I just want you to see that Isaiah is really trying to call your attention to something. Remember uh, in the world they're saying, go this way, go that way. Uh, Here's where life can be found and so on. I just want you to have a little sample that Isaiah is trying to Put some big arrows in place. Hey, you need to head this way. Isaiah 51 in verse uh, 1. Anybody up for just reading out loud? Just shout it out. What does he say there? Isaiah 51, 1. First phrase. First couple of words. Listen to me. Listen to me. Verse 2. First word. Look. Verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. Look. Verse, verse 4. Give attention to me. Verse 7. Listen to me. we tracking? Verse 9. Awake. Awake. Verse 17, wake yourself. Don't snooze through life. Lord have mercy. 52 verse 1, awake, awake. We're, we're kind of building, building up to something. It's like, a, like an earthquake. It's kind of trembling. And where does it culminate? It culminates in chapter 52 verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Can we just appreciate for a moment uh, some tension there? He's going to be exalted. That's what it just said. But then it just said his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. How does that work? I could be exalted and seems to be saying so roughed up that when a human being looks at him, he doesn't even look human. How can that be? So.